Hi, I'm KS Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerdbird Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with the founder of the children's media brand, Twin Sisters Livingston, and the author of the book series, Mary Knight. She's here to talk about the first novel in the Twin Sisters Livingston book series, Twin Sisters Livingston, and the mystery at Madame Molyneux, currently on Kickstarter. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. But outside of my introduction, who is Mary Knight and what are you about? Well, I am the mother of two. Uh, I've been coming up with uh, stories informally for all of my life. I love uh, all things Disney. I love all things fantasy and fiction. And um, I went to school for engineering, ended up graduating with an international affairs degree, which really exposed me to a ton of cultures. Um, lots of different languages and uh, a lot of different people. And that ended up kind of informing what I was going to do in my 30s. Um, I started writing actually in the legal field, doing some work there. And then I had a law professor who was like, stop writing legal stuff, go write fiction, go write stories. I know you want to. So I did. And that was 10 years ago. Um, And yeah, like I said, I'm a mom. I live in Atlanta and uh, I want to create stories for girls. That's what that's what I want to do. I always find it really interesting when people go to college to pursue higher education and they have to set plan of what they want to do and then they leave with a totally different degree. And then so you went from engineering into international affairs and then um you doing this legal work and but then your superior was like don't do that do something else. So it's like you I, I don't know where I heard it from, but it's, I, I remember reading about how someone says you can live multiple lives in one life. Wow. So it's like, it takes like seven years to get, I think a master's in something. So you've lived as a master in this particular field, you lived this life for seven years and then you can, you still have time, hopefully, that you still have time to pursue other things and be a master in that field as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I never want to say that this is the only thing I'm going to do because I just have no idea. And it's just like you said, you, you walk into um, second or really college with a plan and then the world takes your plan and <laughs> turns it all around. And only now do I look back, you know, it's 20 years later um, and I look back and the, the dots all connect. So it's really interesting how it works, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I could have forged this kind of path on my own. It was a lot of like fits and starts, uh, false starts, um, <laughs> starting over. So, but I'm really happy with where I've landed. So can't wait to see what comes next. Okay. What is Twin Sisters Livingston, the children's media brand and the Twin Sisters Livingston and the mystery at Madame Mala knows about? So I guess you can go to the media brand first and then Um, how it expands into the book series. Sure. So um, even though I began writing the first novel before I was a mother, and especially the mother of a daughter, um, I still wanted to create media that was, you know, smart and safe and sophisticated, that parents could feel really good about giving to their children, Um, mainly just because, you know, as a parent, you have to trust the media that you put in your, your kids' hands. Um, And I wanted to create a whole universe of 
media, just like what I said, smart, safe, and sophisticated that parents could put into their daughter's hands, educators could give to their students and feel really good about it and know that they were not just being given, you know, silly stories about, you know, jokes or something like that, but that it was actually leaning towards literature and that there was some historical context and there was more learning even outside of the, you know, the plot or the narrative, right? Um, so that's why I created Twin Sisters Livingston. Uh, like I say in the video, we really want to be everywhere tween girls want to be. So we wrote this these books primarily for girls ages, you know, eight to 12, but we have readers on both sides of those numbers. We have readers as young as five and six, they're very precocious. We have adults who love the books, um, but really we're focusing on that, that tween age group because there's so much happening um, in a girl's life at that time. They're really discovering kind of who they are. They're getting some independence um, and they're being bombarded with messages uh, from other outlets in media that uh, sometimes can be good and sometimes can be not so good for the self-esteem. There's a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of self-worth talk that I think happens internally in girls that age. And so really this is my favorite group to be writing for. So we're doing everything that we are doing for them to kind of instill this sense of, um, you know, sisterhood, bravery, curiosity, deeming yourself worth from um, from what's on the inside and not what you look like in a selfie or how many Instagram likes you have. Look, I love social media, but there needs to be a balance. And so that's really where we've um, come up with the inspiration for the brand. Uh, as far as the book series, again, I started writing the first book about 10 years ago. I'm a twin sister myself. I grew up with a fraternal twin and uh, I always used to imagine that we would go to like a European boarding school or, you know, that fantasy that everybody has where you discover that you were adopted and you're actually a princess. <laughs> you go uh -huh. like live in a castle um, and not everybody has that, but I sure did. And so, you know, when it came time to write a book, I was like, I'm going to write the book. And I forget where I heard this, but some famous author said, write the book that you wanted to read when you were 10. This is that book for me. And so I wrote it about two American twin sisters. Um, Maddie and Joe Livingston in the 1930s. So I really wanted to take us out of modern day and put the girls way back in the 1930s when you couldn't just Google something or, you know, you didn't have a smartphone and you really had to rely on your intuition, wit, your sisters, your friends around you, um, rely on all of those things to problem solve. So yeah, American twins, Maddie and Joe, they get whisked off to a Swiss boarding school in the 1930s. They meet all sorts of girls from all over the world. Um, I love the diversity that we built into the book because you know Swiss boarding school in the 1930s, you might not think of that as, as an incredibly diverse place, but the more research we did, the more we realized it, it could have been and probably was. So we write about that and they get to go on these epic kind of Indiana Jones-esque adventures. Um, and there's, there's a lot at play. There's, uh, you know, pre-World War II Europe happening and all of the political stuff that's going on there and social stuff. But there's, there's, you know, all of that's going on in the world. But then there's also the kind of micro uh, cosm that's happening inside of the Swiss boarding school. So really, we're trying to reach to all those places, what's happening, you know, inside a tween girl's mind, because our characters are all 12 when the book starts, uh, or when the book series starts, um, what's going on in group dynamics between girls, um, and then what's going on in the, the world at large back then. So with this age group, how did you manage um, keeping them at this age? Like, yes, they're going through, I guess, that transitional period from child to teenager. 
but and with the subject matter of being a mystery at their boarding school that they kind of sort of have to band together to solve how were you able to maintain uh i guess that childhood that childlike wonder and mm-hmm. the transition into adulthood without it being too adult you know right that, right that, that thing for me is is what attracts me to this is that um it's written for this this age group and for young girls and I always feel like authors kind of like rush into aging them up a bit and it's like yeah. the children always have to be the ones to do all the work like we're all the competent adults you know, and like, they're the ones that have to be the adults. And it's like, where is that? They should still be able to be children. So mm-hmm. how are you able to maintain it in their the behavior, in their speech, how they reacted to rules and authority and even exploring subject matters beyond their age, but still right. maintaining being 12 years old? So yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that you do, I think authors do in middle grade literature. So think Harry Potter, even think Star Wars. I think a lot of these um, these things that have these uh, young protagonists and what you really have to do, and it's kind of formulaic, is you do have to somehow get rid of the parents because that allows for this kind of independence and blossoming of this young character. And so we did that. Um, Obviously, you know, going off to a Swiss boarding school means your parents aren't there. And although you still have these adult authority figures, um, really you're bonding and learning with girls your own age. And so I made sure, so this brings up kind of another point. I made sure that we didn't just dive into young adult, right? Because that happens a lot. People, they start out writing for middle grade and then they're like, but paranormal romance and you know, vampires are cooler. <laughs> and so, so it, you know, one of the things we say in our Kickstarter page is we say, you know, a books often skew too young or too old for this middle grade group, this tween girl group. And so what I've done in the first novel when they're 12 is there's obviously some discomfort there being off by yourself in a Swiss boarding school without any parents. Um, we see that when the, the actual kind of inciting events happens when they have to leave and separate from their parents. We see them very nervous, etc. cetera. Um, and then we see them kind of bond with their new classmates and their roommates in a very, you know, some childish ways. Um, and so we see that kind of like, immaturity, maybe some poor decision-making, some risk-taking, just not having the level of discernment that maybe an older girl would. We see a lot of that in the boarding school antics, but we also start seeing them realize that if they band together, if they work together, that they can solve problems that feel like to a 12-year-old that they're only solvable by an adult. And so that's kind of, I feel like that's where we maintain the balance. Yes, they're still silly. They do things that get them in trouble. They get detentions, all these things. Um, And they miss their parents dearly. Um, But they're also starting to discover that they do have some power. Um, And again, what I really love writing in the era that we're writing in is the power doesn't come through social media. It doesn't come through the the gaze and acceptance of the outside world. It it comes from accomplishing something inside of a very closed world. Um, So yeah. Okay, Um, could you just elaborate a little bit on your creative process? So you started writing this about 10 years ago. So you had an idea in your head and now you have to put the pen to paper. So Mm -hmm. I guess from an idea in your head to now it being pretty much going to the printer at this point. So you know, I guess in that whole 10 year period, 
maybe just elaborate on, like I said, the creative process from the idea to, you know, outlining it and making it into this multiple uh, book series to even finding an editor for this children's book. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's been, uh, like I said, fits and starts. So 10 years ago, I started writing it. I had friends who agreed to beta read what I had written. Um, and I was halfway through the book when somebody said to me, you know, as I was completely green in this, in this field, I didn't know how all of the mechanics worked. And somebody said to me, I think now's the time that you need a developmental editor. And I was like, okay, well, what's that? And I started researching it and I was actually able to contact somebody who had done tons of work for Simon & Schuster, for Scholastic, for Bloomsbury, or all, all of these uh, big publishers. And she was willing to do um, my book as well. She had read a sample of it. She said, okay, you know, you can write and I like your story and I have three daughters in your age group. So I'd love to do this. And so she jumped in with me and, you know, did a you know, a lot of work uh, on the first half of the book. I was I was a very new writer. Um, I was making a lot of mistakes in you know with plot holes and and um, even sentence structure things like that. Um, and she was able to kind of coach me through those. And then on the last half of the book, she actually jumped in and helped me develop based on my intention to write five more books in the series because originally it was only going to be a six book series, taking them through uh, boarding school. And so actually, I can show you that right now. We, we finished it. I had it proofread and copy edited it. And, and then I had it formatted and I sent it to the printer in, in a very self-publishing way. I sent it to the printer. I published an ebook, and that was in 2014. And it was really more of an experiment. I didn't have any money behind me. I didn't have anyone interested. <laughs> and so I just did it because you learn more about the process by jumping in and like breaking all the things right yeah. and getting things wrong and so um so I did that and then life kind of took over right I had two kids I had a, a huge career shift um and I didn't really do anything with it and so it sat very dormant for about um let's see about four years maybe five and then one morning I was I was uh for my job at the time I was in New York and I had breakfast with somebody who was the former director of publicity for Scholastic Books and he was the one responsible for bringing Harry Potter to the U.S. and and helping it become a bestseller over here and so he took a copy of the book he was really excited and he said I would love to work with you and that was in November of 2019. From there um, because I was in tech startups, I started to realize that tech startup model had a really great offering for people who wanted to start a media brand. So I took everything I learned in tech at a startup and I kind of applied it to my uh, twin sister's Livingston brand, right? So uh, we, we started with a business plan. Then we came up with a board of advisors and attracted eight people from you know, all over publishing and all over media to come and be the board of advisors. And then I started getting connected with people who would push the brand even further. So we have an illustrator. He is a fashion designer. He did the work uh, for the, the first time the book came out. And he also updated the work for this time. Uh, I met a developmental editor who has written over, uh, well, almost, excuse me, 100 books on Harry Potter. She was at Disney Worldwide Publishing for 11 years. So she's on the team now. We just got introduced to all of these people. And now all of a sudden, it wasn't just me as the author. 
It was me driving everything from a creative standpoint and from a vision of where we wanted the company and the brand to go, but everything else um, we had we had experts for. And so that was a huge turning point because over the course of two years, of the last two years really, I went from a person who had an idea from a, for a book to a person who led a team for an entire brand. And so, you know, you have, I think, a lot more reach and a lot more potential if you go the brand route. Um, and plus, I've always been a little bit of an underdog, I guess. I didn't want to even shop my book to the big publishers. And it wasn't because I didn't like them. In fact, we, as a team with a board of advisors that was so connected, we actually had meetings with almost all of the big US publishers um, when we were starting this thing off. Um, and none of them took it, and that's okay with me. Um, because I, I really did want to do things my way. But yeah, that's kind of how this worked. I started out with an idea for a book 10 years ago. Here we are today. Uh, there are two companies around this thing. There are 15 people on the team, including our, our board of active advisors. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's how it went. Are you used to leading a team of people, like being in the forefront of something? Because just from you explaining all that, and I was just like, whew, from going to just being me to several years later now, I'm leading a whole team. And I'm pretty sure the other listeners out there who are creators as well, it's like, we we want to be behind the scenes. We want to be just doing our work and let other people do all the work for us. But it's like, you're leading a team. So like, how does that, how does that feel? Well, it feels really natural. And I'll say this, I, um, I see where people are coming from that only want to sit back and do their deep work. I understand that completely. I think what happened is that, you know, when I said that I put the book down in 2014 mm -hmm. or 15, um, I joined a tech startup, a couple of them actually, but the second one was really the most meaningful. And I was chief of staff to the CEO. So I was in a very high level support role to the CEO and I got to sit and watch him lead uh, a rather large organization for a startup. It was probably about 40 people. And I learned at his side and I took all of that information and really, really thought to myself like, okay, I can either write this book and then hand it off to somebody who's gonna make a lot of the decisions about marketing, branding, creative, when something comes out, how it comes out, what kinds of consumer goods we make, or I can take all that I've learned at the hands of the CEO and I can start making those decisions with the help of a, of a very uh, mission aligned team. And I would say for anybody who is nervous about um, leading a team instead of just being an individual creator, um, you know, try it first. See if you can get uh, work at a startup and, and watch people who are leading teams. Um, if you have the right people in the right seats, which I've tried to do on my team, um, it doesn't feel like work or, or management at all. It, it feels like a big, huge collaboration. And we're very small. We only have, you know, six or seven people on the actual team, plus eight advisors. Um, but yeah, no, the, just the, the, the combination of the two. And I have a very operations background. I'll mention that too. And I love doing that. That does something in my brain. I like checking off lists and those kinds of things. But um, getting to do both the creative and the business side is, is a dream come true for me, honestly. Okay. Um, you kind of already said it in the bunch of the questions I already answered, and which is fine. But what advice would you offer to other 
uh, authors and creators you wish someone would have told you when you first started? It can be in general as a writer or as someone who started uh, um, a media brand, but what advice would you give to them that wanted to do something similar to you that you wish someone would have told you? Okay, great, great question. Um, a couple of things. So first of all, I would say that the first time you hear somebody tell you, no, your work's not good enough, like that's when your actual career has started. <laughs> it's at that moment when somebody has considered what you have to offer and said, no, that's when you are like, oh, okay, fine. I got my first no, I'm ready to go. So don't stop when people tell you no. Um, number two, don't stop because there are gatekeepers. So 10 years ago, even earlier than that, I wanted to write a book, but the only way really to do it was to get picked up by a publisher, to have an agent, to get you know an acquiring editor to fall in love with your stuff. So I didn't stop there. I, um, I researched and researched until I found a guy I think he's a horror writer, actually. His name is J.A. Conrath, and he had really broken the legacy system and gone the independent route. And he was making over a million dollars a year. And this was, again, back in like 2011. And so I just, I aligned myself with people who were kind of breaking the system. These days, it's a little easier. You know, there are tons of vanity presses out there, um, different services to offer to independent authors. And so I would say, gather all of that research, look really hard for somebody who's gonna work with you to develop you as an artist too. You don't wanna go with a vanity press that's just looking to make the money off of printing your book. You can find people and kind of string together a team where you're hiring a freelance editor who has worked at these big publishing houses then you're hiring a developmental editor, you know, um, or excuse me, a proofreader that has worked on these big projects too. Your, you know, Upwork is a great resource. Actually, I found a lot of folks on Upwork um, who will help bring your project to life. And then start an LLC. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, start an LLC. Put all of your intellectual property under that LLC because I think a lot of authors too they don't realize that their intellectual property, um, you know, that's kind of their cash cow. And if it's not protected, or if heaven forbid someone come in and sue you as a sole proprietor or just a single owner of the IP, um, that can be the end. So there are lots of of kind of horror stories out there about independent authors and what they had to go through, look those up online, read and learn from their mistakes. Um, so those are the things that I would I would instruct people to do first. And then second, Google, you know, how to how to build a startup. Um, look up startup companies and read about their failures and how they hired people and how they had to fire people and how they ran out of money and how they raised money. Um, and read all of those things and and don't just limit yourself to what has been in the past for authors. Um, as an author, you can become the CEO of your own brand. And, and I just, I hope more people do that. I hope this becomes more popular. Yeah, I always try to tell people to figure out how they can legally own their stuff. Because yes. um, I don't know if you ever saw the, the Bob Ross um, documentary that was on Netflix. I didn't. So it just kind of like broke my heart how they oh. just wrangled to how the I forgot their name how they just like well he's on his deathbed and they're still trying to pry his name from his son Steve yeah. and yeah. um I think his brother actually owned like 51 percent of it over Steve because Bob had died he was like in his early 40s when he died I thought he was still alive I didn't know oh my gosh I didn't know either yeah so and his son was really young at the time so his brother had like 
the majority of, I guess his, his own majority of his name, but the people who wrangled it from them now own it and like the Barros pain and they're still making copies of his work and signing his name on there. And people, like I said, don't even know that he's dead. So <laughs> I try to tell people like find a way how to own your stuff. Cause you always hear these horror stories, not just in writing, but uh, like in the music industry, how oh, yeah. artists don't own any of their stuff or they right. can't make any music or anything like that. So it's yeah, just try to find a way to own your, own your work, own your name. So yeah have something to get pass on to whomever or wherever you want to do with it yeah and that's essential um I you know I, I I worked for Warner Brothers Records for a little bit in my 20s um and I I saw it yeah I saw it happen and I saw you can watch documentaries actually in the music industry about you know famous musicians who you see on the cover of magazines and they're making like forty thousand dollars a year um and it and you're so you're exactly right I will say this too I read probably every Robert Kiyosaki book uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad I read those in my 20s religiously because one of the things that he just absolutely says you you have to live by as an entrepreneur is don't give up your piece of the pie. And it's exactly what you said. Don't give away your IP. That's the thing that's going to, once it catches on, that's the thing that you're going to create once and it's going to sell, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of times. And that's where you're really going to see that. Um, so yeah, I, I 100% agree. And the things that I talked about, you know, figuring out how to protect it all behind an LLC, figuring out that you can hire independent people and string them together as a publishing company. Um, do that. You know, you don't have to give away all of your rights um, just to go with a big name. Exactly. There are benefits, sure, right? There are benefits to doing that. They have incredible reach, incredible distribution, amazing marketing departments, and then, you know, the legitimacy factor. They're huge on, but it's, if you think it's fun to be an underdog, this is, this is, it is fun. <laughs> it is fun, so. All right, well, my last question for you, Mary, is what is your idea of success? I ask that because as creators, if we're not getting regular paychecks from a full-time job or making consistent revenue from our art, we're considered failures. Many of us will put our dreams and projects on the back burner or give them up altogether because this career can be highly intimidating and competitive. So what is your idea of quote unquote success? I, th I think I have two answers for that. Uh, I have an answer that was when I was just me um, without uh, my two kiddos. And in that case, success looks like you owning your time and being able to pay your bills and to pay for yourself. Um, if I had it to do over again, I probably would have moved after college. I would have <laughs> probably like decked out one of those vans um, and lived in a beautiful, like, you know, sprinter van with all the equipment I needed to write books and record music. And I would have done it that way and not taken on any overhead, right? No pets, no house, no mortgage, no rent, no utilities, all of that. Um, and so for me, that would have, that would have been success. It's, it's the time really. And you realize that as you get older and I'm eight, I'm dating myself here, but you know, I'm, I'm 41 and, and you do realize that ownership over your time is the most important thing. So um, that's what it would have looked like in my twenties. Now as a single, I'm a single mom. So I have two kids uh, and it's just me. And so I have to make sure that certain things happen, you know, like food, clothing, shelter, food, you know, school, all of those things. Um, so for me now, success looks like um, the time to manage my children's lives and give them everything they need and enrich them 
and the time to uh, write and 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 you know save um, for a retirement or something like that. But it doesn't have to be extravagant. I know a bunch of authors that are independent who have not only their books, but they have sub stacks that they write for, that they have subscribers to, they have Patreon that they have subscribers for, and they're pulling in maybe you know eight to ten thousand dollars a month, and for them. It's, it's a dream job. I mean, for most people, I think getting that much money for doing what you love and being your own boss, that is great. And so for me too, you know, I'd love to see the brand go far and do a lot of good and hopefully, you know, bring in a lot of revenue that way and, and help us expand. So as a business owner, right, I want to see this reach a lot of people and I want to expand, but, it, but personally it is, it's owning my time, getting to spend time with my kids and having time to do what I want. It doesn't look like being on the cover of a magazine anymore, does it? I don't think it doesn't have to. Like what you said, it being able to pay your bills and spend the time with your kids mm-hmm. and still being able to make money is, yeah. I think, really the goal for a lot of people. I think so too. Yeah, for me too. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to push for Twin Sisters, Twin Sisters Livingston in the mystery at Madame Molyneux? It's Molyneux, correct? It is Molyneux, yes. Okay, um, Molyneux. Um, yes. So maybe, uh, yeah, the maybe discuss the re- rewards for potential backers. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, you know, because we're doing Kickstarter, we are kind of pre-funding uh, the project. So we have everything ready to go. We've got one last round of, of copy edit and proofreading, excuse me, proofreading. Uh, because we have made edits to the book, we've added a bunch of new characters. We've added some new scenes um, with the 24 book series in mind. And so um, we are ready to go to the printer and we're raising funds there. And so if you back us on Kickstarter, what you'll get is a, an early digital or hardback copy of the book. It'll have special artwork, a special cover, the physical copy will be signed. Uh, and then on top of those uh, tiers, we have experiential tiers. So we've got a book club tier where you get the books and then uh, a lot of book club material to have a book club with other readers. Um, And then you end that with a discussion with myself and the illustrator. And so we have a big discussion around that. You can also uh, have your own book with Maddie and Joe. It's an adventure if you want to do that, um, where you star in it with them and you're illustrated on the front cover. Um, For would-be investors in Twin Sisters Livingston, we have kind of a, a seat at the round table, if you want to call it that, to discuss strategy. And then finally, we have, you know, a really high dollar tier because we see that that's very popular um, where your daughter or you can actually be cast in the Twin Sisters Livingston series. So that's super exciting. You would work with our entire developmental team. Uh, You'd be designed into a character and you'd decide their traits and how they act and um, where they're from and what their name is and all of that. And and, uh, so there's really special stuff happening after the basic, you know, book reward. All right. Uh, Again, I want to thank the founder and creator of the children's book series, Twin Sisters Livingston, Mary Knight. The first novel, Twin Sisters Livingston and the Mystery at Madame Molyneux is currently on Kickstarter. I highly recommend our listeners to give the Kickstarter a look, share, and are back if they can. All of Mary's socials and the novels series website will be listed in this episode's details alongside the Kickstarter link. Again, I'm K.S. Garner. And you've been listening to the Solo Nerd Podcast. Thank you.